Hello, and welcome to Start Your Week from the Bunker, where we set up the news stories of the next seven days. I'm Justin Quirk. Joining me this morning to work out the week ahead is political commentator and bunker regular, Alex Andreu. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Justin. Alex, the SNP conference closes today. Nicola Sturgeon was in hot water yesterday after telling Laura Kunzberg that she detests Tories. Uh, Were you surprised to hear such intemperate language coming from an ardent Scottish nationalist? I'm not surprised to hear such intemperate language (laughs) coming from anyone at the moment, to be completely (laughs) honest. Um, Listen, if the new Home Secretary, Suela Braverman, can say that her dream is to be on the front page of the Telegraph for forcibly deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda, I think detestation is a perfectly rational human response, and that's all I'll say on the matter. That's I think fair's fair on that one. So rolling <laughs> on with the week, we've got a lot to get through today. Um, the Commons returns on Tuesday, with the Sunday Times yesterday trailing that there is an announcement expected on welfare benefits. Ministers are preparing to ambush the Prime Minister at a Cabinet meeting on Tuesday and demand that she rule out raising the benefits in line with earnings, which would mean a real-time reduction, they wrote. Alex, has discipline already broken down completely for the cabinet? And does this kind of U-turn like weakness or pragmatism? I mean, I'm surprised actually at how completely discipline has broken down. They made an attempt to restore it yesterday, Sunday, by by getting quite a lot of the prominent people that have criticised trust to write in the Sunday papers saying, come on now, support Liz Truss. But you know, coming from people like, again, Braverman, who criticised the U-turn on the 45p rate, Penny Mordant, who was saying to anyone that would listen that she supports um, the operating of benefits in line with inflation rather than earnings. Um, It's extraordinary to see all these ministers out there just prepared to go on interview programmes and and say whatever. Um, Nadim Zahawi tried to put a brave face in it on Sunday by saying it's okay to disagree with stuff until it's agreed in cabinet. But that is nonsense. I mean, mm. it, it it seems to me that the U-turn on the 45p rate, instead of calming things down, has only made trust weaker. And given the various sort of groupings of MPs who are unhappy with her, licensed to pursue other pet projects. It's also expected that the government will unveil new economic measures aimed at the renewable energy sector this week. Um, What's the plan being briefed, and will it be the same roaring success as their last market intervention? Um, I I sense some sarcasm there, (laughs) um, Justin. Um, Oh, Alex. (laughs) Apparently, they plan to put a sort of de facto windfall tax on wind and solar, which actually makes some sense because the cost for generating wind and solar has not gone up, but it still sort of goes into the same pot Mm. uh, and ends up achieving much higher prices. Um, And this is something the EU is doing sort of as well. There are two big problems with Truss attempting to do this. First of all is that she's very late onto the scene. So most companies pre-sell their energy by several months. They've essentially already sold their kilowatts per hour at a particular rate and made planning decisions with regard to the company based on those financials. And so, you know, people who have had some 
foresight in leading their countries have introduced this way ahead of the peak period so that it could be taken into account. Introducing it now will have an impact from sort of next spring onwards. So that's the first problem. The second problem, I think, is that doing this while also demanding conventionally generated energy chips in by a, a windfall tax on them might go down okay, as the EU is doing, might make sense. So to refuse to tax the windfalls of vertically inter integrated energy giants, making massive profits because of the war going on, which they've done nothing to earn, it looks as if you're penalizing renewables over dirty fossil fuel energy, which is just a bizarre signal to be sending out right now. We're also just coming off another weekend marked by industrial action. Around 80% of the country's rail services were knocked out following RMT workers uh, downing tools. Alex, the TUC have contacted its members flagging up the possibility that the government is going to rush through anti-strike legislation at very short notice. Uh, what have they warned about? So the, the TUC... First of all, it commissioned some polling and found that the vast majority of the public is in favour of stronger workers' rights. And so it was something like 8 in 10 that support protecting and enhancing all workers' rights, um, which have been retained since we left the EU. And that includes over 80%, 81%, so higher than the average among Conservative voters. Well. Um, you know, so so this stuff is not the popular course of action that Liz Truss seems to think it is. And because they, they plan to review all regulation that stemmed from EU law, they plan to review working hours, holiday entitlement, equal pay legislation, maternity leave, paternity leave, holiday. I mean, it just seems... Very, very strange to me to make a speech like Trust made at the conference, basically naming anyone who disagrees with anything she says as the anti-growth coalition, and then embark on a course of action that pushes as many voters as possible into that. Is this a battle the government can win, you think? I mean, the industrial disputes of the 80s tended to be relatively limited by sector. But as you say, there was this anti-growth coalition that apparently includes about 80% of the country. <laughs> and right now we've got everyone from dock workers to barristers downing tools. London bus drivers just secured an 11% pay rise last week. Um, how do you see this playing out? I think this is a basic misunderstanding of the early Thatcher Era. The, the so-called winter of discontent took place during the tail end of the Callaghan Labour administration. Thatcher won an election to come in and sort it. If Truss thinks she can emulate what happened by actually causing the problem in the first place, and that the country will then somehow reward her by asking her to solve it. I think she's getting some really, really terrible advice. I mean, I think it's a panic expression of a wider problem, which is all this stuff going on with a 45p rate, all this stuff going on with a reported rebellion coming on the uprating of benefits. <clears throat> so what's going on is this. They're trying to make the tax cuts they already announced add up. And the more 
cuts avenues that are eliminated for them by rebellions within their, their own party, the more difficult it is to make the tax cuts add up. And I think we're reaching a stage where they will have to start U-turning on the tax cuts, which is the last thing they want to do. But I, I just can't see any other way. You know, departments are battling with high inflation. So even if you left their budget exactly as it is, they're facing a huge real terms cuts. Unions are up in arms at, at this attempt to curtail workers' rights. Backbench MPs hate a, a host of measures, not just this. They, you know, there's rebellion on fracking, there's rebellion on relaxing planning regulations. So I can't see how they get to make the books add up to zero by not cutting some of the tax cuts that they've announced. I think they will have to. Over in Ukraine, the shine was taken right off Vladimir Putin's 70th birthday weekend as we woke up on Saturday to see that the road section of the longest bridge in Europe and the sole connection point between Crimea and the Russian mainland had been mysteriously blown up. Um, Alex, what's the best current reading of what actually happened here? It is a little bit of a mystery still, I think, because the vast majority of military experts that I've heard on this um, cannot explain how this explosion was, was caused. So most people in the know seem to think that this attack, and this is the third, incidentally, the third sort of sabotage type attack that there's been in the in the Crimean in the last few months. So all three of them share this common feature. They are outside the range of the sort of weapons that we know Ukraine has. So um, that's the question at the moment. How are they managing to strike targets that are so deeply in Russian territory, basically? And what's the significance of it militarily? I mean, how's it likely to shape what we see happening in the days and weeks ahead? Um, I mean, it's significant both militarily and I think symbolically because the, the, the bridge has been an obsession for both sides for quite a long time. You know, it was Putin's sort of signature infrastructure project. It was the thing that practically annexed Crimea rather than just um, politically or legally. Mm. Um, it, it, it was this bridge that connected Crimea to um, Russia in a physical way. And so the, the Ukrainians have been trying for a long time to find a way of attacking it. They even put together a specific task force to research viable options for destroying it. So its symbolic significance is, is huge. But its military significance is also big because it cuts off a very viable supply route. And that's not the road, that's the train. <clears throat> the train track running on sort of a higher level on top of the bridge is the key. So there's that. The second thing is that I think it indicates that there's something bigger going on. I think it indicates that... Ukrainians are trying to cut off supplies because they're planning a further push to the south. 
and a lot of the analysis I've heard over the last couple of days suggests that maybe there will be another push to the sea that will basically completely cut off Crimea from Russian resupplying. And as we went to air, there's also reports of missiles striking central Kiev for the first time in months with apparent fatalities in what looked like some of the most widespread attacks on the city since the start of the war. Um, Alex, I mean, I'd say this is literally unfolding as we record this morning. Yeah, um, this yeah. is obviously a long, long way from the front line. Presumably some kind of retaliation for the bridge attack? Yeah, I mean, of course it is. It obviously is. There's suddenly um, missiles raining down on the capital on Zaporizhia, on uh, Kherson. I mean, Russia has always been caught in this very strange um, pincer movement between saying, oh, this attack was nothing, or pretending that it was some accident, and then embarking on retaliatory action that suggests precisely the opposite, that this wasn't an accident and that they felt it Um, very keenly. And I think that's what's going on now. I I mean, it's dreadful news because a level of normality had returned to places like Kiev. And, you know, this would be the time people would be going to work. There are reports of fatalities. People are back in the underground um, bunkers. You know, it's definitely a step backward. But There may be a sort of hopeful aspect to it, um, also in that Putin has been threatening, hinting, implying that he will escalate to using uh, nuclear weapons, not strategic, but tactical nuclear weapons. And every time the, the conflict escalates, he shies away from that particular trigger Um, Now, of course, nothing is guaranteed, but I would say that if you're looking for a silver lining to this, the fact that Russia is responding with conventional weapons to what happened is not as bad as it could be. Back in the UK, we're expecting a formal announcement within days of the next round of figures who are going to be nominated for the House of Lords. Alex, who's in this rogues gallery that particularly stands out to you? Well, I mean, Conor Burns. Is the, is the name that sticks out, because apparently he's up for a knighthood at precisely the time he's been suspended from the party for some serious infraction at a Tory conference. Um, I mean, obviously, the, the list happened several weeks, if not months ago. Oh, and we should also say, because this was something that wasn't entirely clear to me, this is not... Johnson's going away list. Yeah, there was some confusion over this, wasn't there? There's sort of two lists running in parallel. Yeah, because so this is Johnson's regular sort of yearly list of honours that will have already been through vetting. uh, And his resignation list is something that will still be going through vetting and is to come. And so there's another list coming, which is, by all reports, markedly longer and discernibly worse than this one. But yeah, Connor Burns uh, will cause this government a, a huge amount of embarrassment and unless they find a way to somehow 
withdraw him from, from the list. Victoria Prentice, who's the minister that was doing the media rounds this morning, um, said she knew nothing about it. She hadn't seen his name on there. And, uh, and so maybe there are already manoeuvres afoot to say... Uh, Connor Burns? What Connor Burns? <laughs> well, the, the Times reported over the weekend that Liz Truss was apparently trying to just blanket delay uh, Johnson's appointments. Um, can she do that? And what are the constitutional implications there? Okay, so that we are now talking more about the second list, the resignation honours list. Right. Um, and the reason there are reports that Liz Truss is trying to I think the word that was used is defer some of these honours. So, like, to say, um, yeah, you'll be Lady Nadine Doris, just not yet, is because uh, it includes several MPs, and it would mean several by-elections. And, ah. and Liz Truss is obviously desperate to avoid those, because where they are in the polls at the moment... I mean, even the, there's no such thing as a safe Tory seat. And especially with the way that opposition parties, I think, um, are better at coordinating when it comes to by-elections and voters are, be- are better at tactical, tactical voting when it comes to um, by-elections. And so this could be a disaster for trust because it could confirm what the polls are showing. It could be a series of catastrophic losses. And so she's trying to defer all these MPs from going into the House of Lords. But I don't know, people like Nadine Doris don't seem overly sympathetic. And it could be that this is a tactical move by Johnson to actually make the problem worse for Truss. So this is going to get really, really tricky because, uh, as I understand it, the second list has already gone to the palace. And once it's gone to the palace, it's very difficult to say, can we just defer these ones for six months? And with a new king in place and with some reported tensions between the government and the palace, um, I think this, this could be really tricky constitutionally and politically. The presence of former male editor Paul Dacre seemed particularly tin-eared on that list. Um, It was highlighted by Chris Bryant uh, a couple of days ago when he called for Dacre's ennoblement to be put on hold. Um, What's the particular story there? Well, I mean, there's there's, (laughs) there's loads of stories (laughs) there. Yeah, take (laughs) your pick. I mean, Paul Dacre, um, he sort of went away uh, for a bit and then seems to have come back even more rabid than he went away. There's there's pending legal action against the male at the moment from several people who claim that their privacy was invaded under his tenure. Um, it, he's a very controversial figure, a very, very controversial figure. So I don't know that there's anything anyone can do to stop it. Um, there's obviously things that the opposition can do to maximise the embarrassment for the government, and they will do that. And finally, on Tuesday, IDAR will become the first robot to give evidence in Parliament when she appears for the Lords Communications and Digital Committee. Uh, Alex, do you welcome this introduction of AI to our body politic? And are we entering a world where cyborg Mark Francois will prowl the corridors of Westminster like a <laughs> pint-sized terminator? Um, God, I hope not. Uh, although, <laughs> I have to say, there are several Tory MPs that would fail the 
test for <laughs> for emotional intelligence um, at the moment. Uh, I mean, I think it will be a very interesting session. It's obviously an important issue that is gathering momentum. I think it's terrific that um, MPs are intellectually curious and will get to experience this firsthand. It will be a big blockbuster um, box office stuff as well, I think. Um, I, I'm very, very much looking forward to it. I think uh, uh, AI is both inevitable and not as um, frightening or gloomy as one might think. I've done several um, daily um, interviews on the subject. Uh, the the jump sort of between um, what is going on at the moment and um, Skynet becoming cognizant and decide, deciding to blow us all up is, I think, uh, quite a big gulf. I think it's important that our political understanding and our understanding of the ethics involved in this area develops alongside the technology and, uh, uh, and is probably long overdue. Francois 2.0 approaches. <laughs> Will this be a metal Francois that can change shapes? From yeah, he'll just move, move from his current well. rotund one to a slightly more taller and slimline Francois. <laughs> he, he will shape shift before our very eyes. <laughs> Other stories we'll be keeping an eye on in the days ahead include on Wednesday the vote for a new chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee and a Treasury Committee analysing the fallout from the recent budget. Also, that same day over in America, the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol will hold its next and perhaps final hearing with Representative Adam Schiff of California suggesting it will, quote, tell the story about a key element of Donald Trump's plot to overturn the election. There's also the continued spread of anti-regime protests across Iran following the deaths of three civilians which show no sign of abating, while the IMF and World Bank meet in Washington for their annual meetings and finally, next Sunday, it sees the Communist Party Congress kick off in China. And that is Start Your Week. Alex, thank you for getting up early. Thank you, uh, Justin. The IMF and World Bank, Bank meetings will be very tasty, and I suggest that people keep an eye on those, because what you will get is the world's financial press being in a position to ask the heads of the world's financial system what they think of what happened in the UK a couple of weeks ago. And I think there will be a lot of content coming. That is a uh, definite date for the diary. Listeners, thank you for joining us. Just a quick reminder that like all our shows, Start Your Week is kept on air by the direct support of people like you. You can find us on Patreon with just a couple of pounds a week. It keeps shows like Doomsday Watch, Origin Story and Oh God, What Now ticking over and helps us to develop new series. Think of it like the normal person's version of funding a sinister right-wing think tank, but much cheaper and less ghastly. Just search Patreon <laughs> Podcast, sign up, and you'll get all our shows early and without ads, along with other perks throughout the year. Thank you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow for the panel show, where there will be exciting news from the House of Podmasters. The Bunker was presented by Justin Quirk with Alex Andrade. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieber, and the producers are Yelena Sofronevich and Jacob Archibald, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor is Andrew Harrison. And our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.